At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Was on. Yeah, we got. I know he got it. That was pretty close. Uh, and hey, it's us again. Now, battle. Before we start, I have uh two questions. Yes. First off, welcome back. Thank you. That's not a question. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, the actual question. First one. Since you are a Twitch streamer, how do you feel about the whole hot tub shit that's happening right now? Oh yeah, the hot tub meta. What's going on? I so okay, everyone. I've been gone for a while because. I have a baby now. She it's just, my baby daddy. Yeah, he a baby daddy. <laughs> um, so I don't know what's happening in Twitch right now. What What do you mean? So there's people who are streaming from hot tubs in their bathing suits uh, to get around like terms of service. And like some people are like, hey, this is suggestive or sexual content because they're in this you know, state of undress. And other people are like, nah, I'm just chatting with people from the hot tub. Yeah, and then a bunch of dudes are mad because they're like, ooh, they're getting all this money for, like, doing nothing. But it's like, so? There's a market for it. If someone wants to be a titty streamer, be a fucking titty streamer. Like, there's an issue with that. Like, with people getting mad at, especially men, getting mad at women for being titty streamers. That's okay. Like, Blame the market. To shame them. They get like, paid for it. Like, hey, so someone obviously want. wants to buy it. And the men getting mad are usually the men who are paying for it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't really care. Let them fucking stream from there. The real question is, are you going to start titty streaming? streaming? Yeah. You're going to uh, see them sweater puppies? Yes. <laughs> Have you seen my pictures of me on Discord? Being a complete fool. <laughs> so you mean the tape, the the, yes. the taped up pace picture. Well, I'm always on Discord with my sister and cousins and stuff, watching stuff, and sometimes I mute myself and go crazy. <laughs> and a follow up question: How's it feel to be a baby daddy? It feels so awesome. Um, my outlook on life has changed a lot. I say that much, and. It's so cool, I think. Does she still got that new baby smell? Yeah, I think so. Like, she like, smells like a baby. <laughs> like your utero? Yeah. Milky. It's, 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 yeah, milky. <laughs> no, it's a really cool feeling. And I'm super lucky because going through the whole birthing process with Melinda, I realized that not everyone is able to have baby, have a baby. 
Um, baby. So I am baby. I'm very lucky. Like Melinda and I are very like lucky to be able to conceive and have a baby. Like, and I'm super. Women are fucking awesome, by the way. Just she, she throwing it out there. Out. Fucking women are so powerful. Um, watching her labor, I won't go into too much too much into it in detail, but like watching her labor has been like was awesome and she's so powerful and women are powerful. Even if women are not able to conceive, like what women go through on a daily basis. I don't think they're given much credit. Women are just fucking ridiculously strong and super powerful. So thank you. All women. But a hat. Everywhere. Yeah. Birth and babies and whatnot. Shit ain't easy. Dealing with Ro- men. Deal- mm. Shit ain't easy. Shit ain't right? easy. <laughs> and welcome to Bras and Murder, where we talk about titty streaming and babies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am Andre. I'm Zaddy. Literally, <laughs> I am Kelly. I'm Robert. <laughs> and this is the crew. We bring you true crime cases of color. We play you music, and we just have a grand old time together. So now this episode is all about uh children, coincidentally, <laughs> and different aspects that in the true crime world that affects children. I have a pretty uh heinous case that recently happened. I know Robert got some ish he wants to spill. I do. Tea. A little soapbox. Yeah, so a little soapbox. So uh, I think I went first the last couple of times. So, Kelly, do you want to go to what? Sure. I'm going to put you on the spot, but you survive. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Open your eyes, what can you see around? Wind of the open sky, over the siren sounds. This is a dream, getting the royal scar, holding a diamond blade, throwing it far. Um, <laughs> so, um, my case is about. Asia Degree, um, who went missing at nine years old on Valentine's Day um, in 2000, the year 2000. Asia had a pretty, like, good home life. She's from North Carolina. And on Valentine's Day, her family woke up and she was not in her bed. And which also happened to be her parents' wedding anniversary. So the series of events was that the day before she had had a basketball game and her team lost and she took it very hard. When she got home, she took a nap for a couple um, or for an hour or so and then got up to join her family. And then they watched a movie and everything seemed fine. Around 2.30 in the morning, her father checked in on her and her brother who shared a bedroom before going to bed himself, not seeing anything out of the ordinary. At some point in the night, Aisha got up and went to the restroom and then came back and her brother heard her and was kind of roused awake, but figured she was just, you know, going back to bed and maybe moving around a little bit. So he just went back to sleep. She was not discovered missing until her mother, Aquila, came in at 6.30 the next morning to wake up her children. 
So the series of events is that it seems that she left on her own accord sometime during the night. There are a few different reasons why people think that she left. Either because she was so upset because she was very, I guess, kind of type A and took the loss of the basketball game really hard. Like it's all on herself? Yes. Yeah, like put a lot of pressure on herself. They even, they did say that like it seemed that once she realized like that night that no one was mad at her, like none of her teammates were mad at her, that she kind of calmed down. But they did say it like she was upset because she had fouled out and they lost the game by a point. So she might have been putting all of that on herself. She ended up packing a little backpack full of like, just like a couple things like candy and things like that before she left. And she was spotted two separate times around 4 a.m. walking along the highway. So once by a long haul trucker who actually pulled over to check on her to see if she was okay. He even, he, he had to, I guess, kind of go down the highway and turn around to stop to get to her. And he thought it was really strange because when he got out of the car or the vehicle to call to her, she ran off away from him. Because, you know, he would have thought that, like, if something was wrong, she would have come to get help. It's, yeah, it said something. Yeah. But yeah, she ran off into the woods, and then I guess he just kind of kept going. Um, and he didn't report anything until he saw on like TV that she had been missing. Another motorist, his son, they drove by, and it was kind of a similar thing where like she just kind of ran off into the forest again. And they, but they reported it the next morning, and they. I guess they probably didn't think anything of it until like after the fact, you know. Yeah, well, but at the same time, I like I think both of them were alert, like, uh, like something's weird, alarmed right? because how many like you never see like a little kid on the side of the highway in the middle of the night. Yeah, and she was wearing well, all and the white fact that you too. you stopped like it was weird enough for you to stop, but it wasn't weird enough right for you to like yeah. hit up the authorities. Yeah. Oh, and it was raining that night, which makes it even more strange and like yeah so if she if she obviously needed help she probably would have gotten a car so it seemed like she was exactly going somewhere like she was on a mission yeah police did like when they got those calls though they were like kind of you know it helped the case along they were excited to see if like they could find out what happened and they had a traffic stop right around where both uh motors had reported seeing her so which that ended up being interesting because due to that they had investigated a property that was very close to where she was spotted on the highway. And um, the, the family that owned the property f- um, had submitted to the police like these items that they had found near the, like a shed or something like that. So it was like kind of back, back um, a hair ribbon, a pencil, and a pen. And the ribbon was confirmed by her parents to be hers. She, and it was kind of what lucky. What kind of uh, backpack did she have? I don't know. I would just imagine just, you know, like a child's jam sport or something like that. Oh, I used to have a bunch of jam I've heard about this case over here. Really? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it's your in your clubs, area, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so all of that was found out like within the week. I think the they found the the items like on Thursday, like Thursday after it happened because the day she went missing was Monday, Valentine's Day. 
Then the, the next big kind of clue that they got was about a year later, on August 3rd, 2001, they did find her backpack, but it was about an hour north of where she went missing. And it ended up having a few items in it that didn't actually belong to her. So it was her backpack. Wait, and so was that also like an hour away from like the property where they felt like the pencil yes. and everything and stuff? Yeah, which is, yeah, that's where she kind of, or not the area went missing, area. but where she was last sighted. So, yeah, they found there was a new Kids on the Block t-shirt and um, a Dr. Seuss book called McElliot's Pool. Or, no, McElligot's Pool. And while the book wasn't hers, it was from the library at her elementary school. So it's just, like, a bunch of really strange, like, clues together that don't really make sense. Especially considering it was found so far away, and it was found in yeah. kind of like a wooded area where they were making an access road, um, mm-hmm. where they, they were doing construction. I'm surprised they didn't find any like tracks or anything. It was raining it was, too. Yeah. So I would assume there would be like some kind of trail to follow. Well, I would someone covered her steps up. Yeah, I would almost think that maybe that, like, because it was raining, they would be less likely to have, like, if it's really grassy and things, you know? Oh, you're right. I was thinking of mud. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so, um, the last, so, obviously, it's been about, it's been 21 years since she went missing. Um, they did have a little bit of an update in 2015 where someone said that they possibly saw her getting into a green car around the time of her disappearance. It was like a 70s car, either a Ford Thunderbird or a Lincoln Mark IV. And around that same time, they, the FBI, as well as I think a local organization, put up $45,000 as a reward if anyone had any new information. And I saw there was a video interview with her parents um, from last year, the 20 year anniversary of her disappearance, where they're just, if you like, if people had any kind of information, she's like, the the mother said that um, even though at this point she's 30 years old, she just wants to like, she is sad that she has missed her child's like growing up but that she would give anything to just be able to see her daughter again. As well, um, if anybody has any information on Aisha's case, the FBI has a number that you can call. It's 704-672-6100, or the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, you can call at 704 704- Four eight four four eight two two. And we'll put those in the show notes too. I, I think there's like, don't they have like a walk every year? Right? You like something like that? I'm not sure. I didn't. See I know they do. Like, I know the family does something yearly, and like they had to change it around, like the dates. But they will always like a walk or like a run, or something like that. They, I they were doing like, one, yeah, but they did change. They changed it from Valentine's Day just because they didn't want to have um a lot of happens on valentine's day yeah i don't but i don't know if they still do it now and with that i i want to say while i don't have a case today everyone sorry i I did have some like information and on stuff and when it comes to missing persons of color there is less likely in the u.s 
to there's less likely that there's going to be a solved case compared to cases involving people who are white and that's just something to think about and additionally according to the patriot ledger the number of missing people of color is disproportionately higher and their stories are often underrepresented in national conversations and mainstream media and that is something that we at Bruz Murder that want to, to change like talk about these cases um, and really dive into them to bring attention to what's happening to people of color and especially children of color and women of color um, because it's not talked about it not talked about often mm-hmm. so just keep that in mind that there is a disproportionate there's disproportionately higher cases of color that don't get covered especially when it comes to missing people there's the whole less dead aspect it doesn't matter what age you are either yeah actually when i was looking up um the the little girl who it was from a while ago we i think we did um just an Instagram post about it, but the little girl Heather who went missing from my my hometown. Um, when I was looking through that, there were statistics that say like, black just black children make up a third of all missing children in the U.S. And not only that, another thing you want to think about too. The way that black children are treated when they go missing is appalling. A lot of times they're classified as runaways versus actually missing. And whereas like white children, when they go missing, it's everyone goes out to look for them. Um, That that includes law enforcement. Whereas like when black children go missing, it's usually the black community that go out and try to look for these children and they're not treated or the same like severity of like, like missing they're they're running away like these children are running away mm-hmm. because they're trying to run away from the problems and that goes into a whole other idea that you know black children are four times as likely than white children to live in poverty in the United States relative you know relative to white children again. Yeah. so i think people sometimes play on that or prey on the idea that when black children go missing they're running, running from something because mm-hmm. they have something going on and it's that's not the case sometimes and you have cases like aisha who <laughs> had a great house like great family Absolutely. a lot going for her <laughs> yeah i think that's the part of the case that like always feels so strange and like so sad is like in the beginning when you kind of are framing you know, this is what they were doing the night before. Of like, they just had a rough like basketball game, and they're watching a movie with their family. Like all those little things, those humanizing things, make it so much sadder. Yeah. My case doesn't get any better because <laughs> yeah. uh, the case I'm bringing is about Jennifer Yost, who by all, I be- she basically is like the evil stepmother in a Disney movie, but like times ten. So now. My case is about a incident that happened. Well, it can like ended March of this year after a woman saw a young boy running up and down her street, and she obviously thought that he needed help. She said that she was used to seeing kids run around playing, but this boy looked like he was in distress. She stopped him and said, "Hey, buddy, do you need help?" And he did. And what? came after that was the unfurling of a three-year-long 
torture like home involving a bunch of underage kids and then three shitty adults. So now, in Mountainville, PA, criminal charges were recently filed against Todd Richard, who's 32, and the dad of the situation. Jennifer Yost, 27, a stepmother who did a lot more. Like, her crimes toward the kids were a lot more intense than the father and then their asshole grandmother. That's why I'm, like, kind of centering on her, because she did some fucked up shit. Uh, and this long period of just torturing these kids lasted between 2019 to 2021 so it was a three-year long this event so now after the woman saw this kid running back and forth then she's talked to him she noticed that he had a bunch of bruises on his body like he looked malnourished he was skinny so she called the police the police got there got to him got to the house and you know saw everything that happened so now the children affected i'm going to call them jr who's a nine-year-old girl, DR, 11-year-old boy, BR, who's a 12-year-old boy, the one that got the police to come to the house after he ran away, and uh, SR, who's a three-year-old girl, but she wasn't the victim. Like, she wasn't victimized, I'm assuming because she was, like, the youngest, so they knew they really couldn't like, beat her that severely, like the other ones. So now, BR was a kid that escaped, and after running down the street and alerting uh, personnel, police came to him. And they also noted when they first saw him that he looks like a victim of abuse. And they noted all of his bruises, scratches, like his exposed ribs, everything on the spot. After getting all the information they needed, the police went and responded to the home, where Wendy, the grandmother, and Jennifer, the stepmom, were the only ones there, while the father, Todd, was out at work or something. So now police started searching the home, and after some time, they finally made their way up to the attic because the initial home downstairs, everything seemed normal. So it seemed like this kid's claims of like living in this <laughs> basically dungeon were like kind of made up till they got up to the attic. Now the police noted as soon as they walked upstairs, there was a strong smell of like urine. They just smelled piss all upstairs. Further investigation led them to finding like they got to the attic pulled it down went up there and there were clear plastic peanut butter jars which looked to be filled with urine there was also a five gallon bucket that had liquid feces in it so the kids were going to the bathroom and these things that weren't let down and after seeing this the kids were immediately removed from the house and everyone was placed under arrest now the local police chief who was there on the scene said that he has never seen anything like this before that in their town they had cases of child abuse neglect you know sexual exploitation but by far this had been like the worst thing he's ever seen so now br told medical personnel that his stepmom and dad and his grandmom would often beat him with their hands belts and even mallets like big like big hammers he said that anything would trigger an attack. During one of the interviews, he said that the three children were abused, starved, and often just tortured for no reason whatsoever. Uh, BR said that his dad would always threaten to kill him. Like, after a beating, he would just threaten to murder him. He said that he would hit him with a wooden spatula, tree branches, a belt, and just any object that was in, like, arm's reach. He said that he had been thrown downstairs and also scratched by their grandmother's cat for just aggravating it. 
he said that uh, Wendy would often strangle him and hit him with a mallet too. Like that was one of the things she would just, that was her go-to. He said that Richard placed pliers on the membrane under his tongue. So that little like split you have under your tongue. He would grip that with pliers and hold it there. And the kid said that he often couldn't breathe when he did that to him. He said that Jennifer would always would also stand on him and choke him. And when he would like fight back and resist because he's being choked, she would tell him that she didn't care if she killed him because she would just hide his body anyway. BR said that they were also like when they were upstairs in the attic because they were really all to leave at all, that they would use the peanut butter jars to collect drinking water in from the gutter and also to like urinate in when they had to pee. So the same jar they were using to collect gutter water was also their bathroom. He said that uh, when they were allowed to eat food, they would only get leftover food that the other family, like their scraps, whatever they didn't finish or had laying around, they would throw that to them. They said the food was often uh, moldy or old, too. What did the system do for these kids? After the fact? or Yeah. Or like during, like, did anyone ever come to the defense of these children while they were there? No. So for these three years, no one knew what was going on. No one seen the kids. Like there was no, like they weren't going to school or anything like that. So no one like, no one did shit basically for these kids. Like the kids would stop showing up outside one day and no one really took notice. But that also could be in part two the family just like slowly isolating them because I read in situations like this when it comes to like parents who torture kids they often like slowly like exclude them from the outside world so when they if they do finally just go missing no one really notices that much you know Mm. yeah that tends to be a theme with abuse partners as well just slow isolation okay so uh, the kids were also not allowed to brush their teeth and Jennifer Yost would often duct tape their arms behind their backs she would duct their legs together and then place them in a cold water bath like she would fill the bathtub up with cold water duct tape them place them in there for long periods of time and then sometimes would hold their heads underwater just to do it with no rhyme or reason behind it there was three people involved in that though Three adults, three adults, yes. Three adults, yeah. yeah. But it's just from all the kids' account, Jennifer was doing the most like fucked up shit. Like holding the kids' head underwater when he duct tape. That's that's some sinister shit. Now DR, which is one of the youngest boys, was the only one allowed to leave the attic. BR and JR were permitted to go downstairs for food leftovers only. And when they would go down there, when they were allowed to, they were just succumb to beatings and abuse. So they often didn't go downstairs unless they were like really starving for food. Uh, BR also said that Jennifer hit him with a mallet and would hit him uh, and the sister on the hands with plastic bats. JR, this is the little girl, said that Wendy hit her with a metal object and Wendy's the grandma, by the way, hit her with a metal object and Jennifer would punch her and her brother in the face and arms. So now after all this came out, all three adults were arrested and charged with a just rap sheet of the charges thankfully like they're throwing a book at these people and yeah they're also denied bail so at the time of recording they are going to the preliminary hearing next monday so So i 
plan on following this because like current. What happened to these children? Like, where are, did they get placed with family? No, not not family. They're uh, in this system in protective custody. So they're with like emergency, yeah, like like emergency foster care. It's shit. And on that note, (laughs) let's take a break. And now a short commercial break. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation. And partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, Robert, we're back. And I have your soapbox ready for you. Sweet. So. Go off, King. uh, Do any of you remember in our youth, there was an organization called Truth or Truth Initiative? With smoking? Uh, Yes, Yes, with smoking. Okay. Um, So, you know, truth has been around for quite a while now. And we actually got very, very, very close to having, like, a a tobacco or a nicotine-free generation. Um, But that was all destroyed by the e-cigarette. Fucking jewel pods. I remember exactly when jewel pods hit highs, man. <laughs> um, so first, to kind of frame it from like a perspective of people of color, CDC reports that between so this is a period of 2014 to 2017, the largest group of youths, which is in this study, I believe, under the age of 18, that used tobacco products the most were uh, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, which made up 23.4%. American Indians and Alaska Natives coming in second, and then followed by multiracial person, persons. So it's an issue that uh, these companies, specifically uh, Jewel you brought up, is marketing all of these at children because that was a demographic that they were losing. They had no risk of losing the 30-year-old smoker who's been smoking cigarettes forever. Did he make cigarettes cool? Well, so there's also some information about... So children who see it portrayed in TV shows or media are three times more likely to start themselves. So any TV show that has a character vaping in it is directly responsible for an increased rate of tobacco and nicotine use in children. And... Uh, you know, over 30% of those children being people of color. And uh, so over the past two years, the use of cigarettes has decreased in youths, but the rate that they use uh, e-cigarettes has not decreased at all, which is a troubling statistic because those who start using e-cigarettes are much more likely to use, or start using e-cigarettes are much more likely to switch to a regular or traditional tobacco product in the future. So, you know, it's this, we talk about the, you know, school to prison pipeline, very similar. We're going e-cigarettes and pushing children, because that's what they are at this point. They're not old enough to buy nicotine, but somehow they're plaguing all of our high schools and pushing them into cigarettes. In fact, they are starting to make nicotine-free chewing pouches. Uh, There's a brand called Zin, Z-Y-N. It's like chaw or like a little pouch you would chew tobacco with, but uh, it doesn't contain tobacco. It's just a nicotine pouch. They they do have, uh, so for a while, they have coffee tins like that, Uh where they have coffee grinds in a little pouch and you just put it in your lip like it's chew. 
I used to do that on deployment because like I just never had time to drink coffee. <laughs> so I would just like had the little coffee t- dip right at my lip and just. It's crazy to it's me great. too, just because with the vaping, like I've seen so much where it's it's characterized as something to get people off of smoking, off of tobacco products. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the idea that people that that kids are starting out with vaping and moving to cigarettes, like. But there's also like it gets like like lower than that because they also have like the non like you said the non nicotine one so they have like the uh, I forget what the brand's called but it's like mist oil in it Mm -hmm. like water oil oh it's like lavender oils yeah yeah. like you just suck on this and you're relaxed and it's like and then you're gonna start smoking yeah well and I think that's a good point to bring up with like when it comes to you know vaping as a way to stop using cigarettes. Sure, that's that's awesome for you know adults who can make that decision, but the it's an industry that I believe has created this product because of a vanishing market mm. that they had, um, and obviously it goes without saying, but people who then begin to start smoking cigarettes are at a much higher rates for cancer, heart attack, mouth disease, all things that disproportionately affect people of color. So the uh, and, and something that should be pointed out was that the lowest two groups of, uh, demographically speaking, in the 2014 to 2017 study were um, black children or youths at 11.5% and then Asians at 5%, um, which are still significant percentages. Yeah. If we're looking at percent of the population, you know, 11% of our youth are not black. But 11% of youths who smoke or use tobacco products are. Yeah, it's all about um, the proportions, boy. <laughs> yeah, and when we're talking about, like, wellness and health, like, mental and physical, um, you know, dependencies on products like this uh, kind of set you up for a long road of either trying to get off of it or just uh, leaning into it and damaging your health in the long term. Um, but I brought up Truth originally because the Truth Initiative actually is still around. They're still making commercials yes. and, like, marketing on TikTok and stuff. Oh, um, no, they, they're on TikTok? <laughs> I've, saw, I've seen a little bit of their stuff. It's not as cringy as you'd expect. Like, they... Whatever marketing team they have, I think, is filled with youthful people who, like, get it. Because <laughs> they're very much a company who's trying to speak to the youth in their own language. Yeah. Which I, I think is really commendable. Uh, so truthinitiative.org is awesome if you get a chance and you want uh, some statistics because obviously vaping nicotine is not good for your body (laughs) truth truth is like really dope too because they do a lot of studies where they talk about things like targeted communities and they talk Uh about racial and ethnic minorities and like how how tobacco industries profile and how they are they strategically put stuff in Racial certain genre communities, yeah. and they've been doing that forever. Uh, like, look, 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 a rap in Newport cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely menthol. The whole idea, of, like, it's a huge joke, like on the internet about banning menthol cigarettes. But if you look at how menthol cigarettes are made, they're one, they're not crazy expensive. I mean, I guess cigarettes are expensive now relative to what they were ten years ago. But those cigarettes are easier to smoke. And if they're easier to smoke and they put these advertisements in communities of color versus commun- like 
white communities, because when I talk about communities of color, I talk about every person that is not white. Um, but when they are targeting, or when they put advertisements in these areas and it's something that's easy to smoke or easy to get, it's easier for these companies to make money off of people that don't have money. So, and nicotine creates a high and it makes you feel good while you're smoking. Obviously there's an addiction to it. People are addicted to the feeling of what nicotine can do for you, what tobacco products can do. Um, um, That's also, there's two things I think that are also kit and caboodle with kind of what you're saying. Um, I know with um, tobacco products in general, they outlawed, especially with when vaping became such a big craze, flavored things. Flavors, yes. Because it appealed to children, with the exception of menthol products. And I think that that was very intentional. As well as nicotine is not naturally occurring in tobacco products. They have to add it to make it addictive. So... The, uh, so one quick little statistic for you, nearly nine out of 10 adults who smoke cigarettes daily first try smoking by age 18 and 99% first try smoking by age 26. So, you know, after you get past 26, I guess it's, you're, you're fine at that point just to experiment with cigarettes. Uh, But the CDC does say Youth's use of tobacco products in any form is unsafe. You know, your brain is still developing. This is a, a powerful chemical. You know, you can uh, get very sick from nicotine, and it will affect your brain development, 100%. Uh, oh, we were also talking about uh, use of cigars or cig- cigarillos. Um, I, I know probably dozen people off the top of my head who grew up like didn't smoke cigarettes but would use swishers or, or black yeah blunt wraps and things like that that are those are tobacco products uh and i think people don't often realize that you know they're forming a dependency on tobacco by you know ingesting marijuana or whatever it is through those means what you used which, to do is you get your black you empty it out you pack uh, it again but you gotta mix it with the black amount so no one can really smell it like that it's high school thinking for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that and hookah has become more popular um, between 2011 and 2020. Uh, there has been a dramatic increase in uh, youths using hookah. I remember that's what we used to do in high school. Same. You can because you can buy a hookah like any like head shop anywhere for like ten All boxes. Smoke in someone's garage. The, I I remember it being really big and like. 2008, 2009. Yeah. The uh, one glimmer of hope we do have, though, is that there has been a huge section of time that many of these youths who use tobacco products were unable to get tobacco products because of the pandemic. Because so many of their informal ways of acquiring this was either through someone older that they knew that they saw at school, or they could, you know, go to the local gas station who wasn't IDing or whatever it is. Um, so you, you hopefully have a, a good section of people who really wanted to quit, finally were forced to quit, and now they're done. Yeah. Will, not, will not go back, but we'll see. That was good. But hey, good episode. Battles back. Yeah. Da- Daddy's here. 
<laughs> and uh, I know we talk about a lot of organizations, but one of the thing I said the last episode, where at the end we highlight like an organization that fits the theme of the show, and the one that I found that I want to highlight was the JLC, the Juvenile Law Center. Now, the JLC advocates for rights, dignity, equality, and opportunities for youths in the child welfare and justice system. They touch on youth justice, children in prison, foster care, and youth advocacy. All things that we've hit on in this episode. What a coinky dink. A crazy thing, too, when you think about prosecution wait wait wait, wait, wait one second okay. so if you want to go help out check out jlc.org and just see what they're about they're cool as shit go ahead now. A cra- uh, what i was going to say is crazy thing is when it comes about the prosecution of children and children and like the justice system there is it's so fucking crazy that there are about a dozen states that still have no minimum age for adult prosecution which means that children can get charged as adults for crimes that they Mm -hmm. commit and children get imprisoned with adults and going to different organizations like Andre mentioned helps combat things like prosecuting children as adults because children's brains are still developing and I fucking you shit shit ain't done till you're 25 bro (laughs) yeah right Well, if we can recognize your brain isn't advanced enough to, you know, drive a car, Mm -hmm. how how can we say you can rationally commit a crime? Ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We need to protect like our future and our children, and stop saying, oh, if we just teach our kids how to do things and not overreact. It's like, okay, yeah, we can teach them. However, because children are still developing at a young age at young ages because they're children means like it takes a little bit more than just saying yeah just teach them not to do that and it's like no it's teaching it's coaching and it's talking with yeah. them it's <laughs> mentorship it's a that. lot absolutely <laughs> well and it takes a village absolutely yes you know all your teachers and coaches and neighbors and it, it should not just be your parents parenting you Right, like I said, great episode. The gang's all back together. We got a hot, spooky summer coming up. <laughs> We're gonna be going crazy, hitting at you with some shit. And uh, enjoy the music. It's from my album called Balls. Your album? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye. See ya, everyone. Bye. bye. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.